Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Thanks, Amy. Good morning, everyone. Great to be with you in church this morning. Welcome. If you're new, I'm Michael, lead pastor here at Salt. It's great, great to have you with us this morning. Well, I wonder, uh, this week, did you, did you feel the tension? Did you feel the tension, the pressure? Uh, at least in the cricketing world. <laughs> uh, the ashes, yes. Um, there's a picture up here of a very unfortunate English batsman but there was a decision made, and it was in the, not the current test, but the previous test last week, that caused, a decision against England that caused massive controversy. Uh, here we are, uh, the front page suddenly gets moved from Ukraine to the ashes. Um, so angry were Eng- English fans... Uh, I don't know how familiar you are, but the Lord's Cricket Ground, this is the most prestigious ground in the world. Uh, the, the members gather in, they call it the Long Room, and this is the most prestigious, um, oldest cricket club in the world. Uh, they are the custodians of the rules of cricket. Uh, they wear pinstripe suits uh, and hats, and they were angry. They were yelling abuse at Australian cricketers as they left the field and walked through the long room to the dressing rooms. And it was all about a dead ball. I don't know if you're not familiar with cricket, a dead ball is, is when the ball is no longer in play. Uh, up until that point, you can get out. Uh, if you're out of your crease like he was and the ball hits the stumps, you are out. Uh, if you're not protecting your wickets, if the bowler doesn't, uh, if he oversteps his mark... They are, that's all in play until the ball becomes dead when the, both the players and the batsmen agree and the umpire can see it's dead, it's called dead. Well, this uh, batsman, Johnny uh, Bairstow, was out of his crease. He thought, the, he thought the ball was dead. And so he casually wanders up the pitch and the Australians had noticed he was doing this on a regular occasion and the wicketkeeper throws the ball at the stumps, knocks the bales over... Everyone looks at the umpires. What's the decision going to be? What's the judge going to say? The video umpire, the supreme judge, who sits in his tower, calls down the judgment. It's, it's in, in big letters, out. The English cannot believe it. Uh, the Australians are jubilant in celebration. The English are hoping that somehow the Australian captain will say, let's let it go. Um, maybe there's been a mistake Uh, but no the Aussies are saying we're taking it and Australia go on to win the test match and probably win the series and it was really interesting to see how people responded to this situation I really find it interesting that sport is like a microcosm of life without putting too much of a fine point on it uh, how we we think about sport but it's interesting how people responded everyone looked to their leaders not surprisingly what do you think of that? Um, the English Prime Minister weighed into it. The Australian Prime Minister issued a statement on, on uh, Instagram or Twitter or whatever it was. Um, you, can, you can guess what they said. They followed their country. Uh, the English captain said, 
it wasn't in the spirit of the game. Uh, And he would not like to win a test match like the Australians have just won a test match. The Australian captain said, bad luck. (laughs) It's the rules and with a completely clear conscience said, we're taking this win. And in fact, your wicketkeeper has done the very same thing to us. Now, what do I think? The English are sore losers. <laughs> but Jesus, sorry, Jesus still loves you if you follow England. But isn't it, isn't it fascinating? Leadership is so difficult when, when a call's got to be made and everyone's looking for your decision, the heat is on, isn't it? Well, God's going to speak to us about leadership this morning. Uh, not just any leadership, but leadership here at SALT. Leadership in Jesus' community, the church. G- uh, leadership where Jesus is at the centre. What does that look like? Uh, and so, let's think again, as we thought last week, what sort of leaders do we want for SALT Church moving forward? What sort of leaders do we want for SALT Church? Because this passage is going to challenge us are we willing to have the leaders that God wants salt to have? And if you are a leader, there's an obvious question, isn't there? Are you willing to be the leader that God wants you to be? That's what's on the table this morning. Um, Make sure you've got your Bible open to Deuteronomy chapter 16. Uh, If you're new with us, uh, we're stepping into this, you're stepping into a series we're doing, so we're deep in the Old Testament. Uh, Here we are, it's 1,500 years before Jesus. Uh, God's people, Israel, are poised, ready to enter the promised land. Moses is their leader, uh, but Moses is about to die. And what's God doing here? He's, he's setting out a vision for how the people will choose a new leader. So Moses was their prophet, he was their priest, he was their judge. Who will take those roles as Israel moves forward and Moses dies? That's the vision before us. So Deuteronomy chapter 16. Let me show you two things. Let me show you a problem. Let me show you a solution. And then I'm going to wrap up for where we are here at Salt on this topic. So firstly, look at it with me. Uh, God wants his leaders to love justice. That's the first point, to love justice. Look at verse uh, 18 of chapter 16. It says, appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the innocent. Follow justice and justice alone. See the judges? Uh, They're the ones who make decisions, bring down verdicts. Uh, They're the ones who will make policy for the nation. They'll settle disputes amongst God's people. They'll be the ones who need to know God's law really well, interpret it and apply it for people. Uh, They need to be wise. They're the people that will help Israel live and prosper in the promised land. If they're to obey God and to love God... And people will come to them with a whole lot of different situations in life. 
what should I do in this situation? How can I love God here or love God's people here? Or people will come with a dispute for the judge to settle. Or they'll come to the judge with a crime that's been committed. What is a just and proper way of sorting this out? What is the punishment that fits this crime? The judge will make a decision on that. There'll be all kinds of cases. Look at verse, uh, look at, look at over chapter 17, verse 8, and you'll see there's an escalation of cases as well. If cases come before your courts, verse 8, chapter 17, that are too difficult for you to judge, whether bloodshed, lawsuits, or assaults, take them to the place the Lord your God will choose. Go to the Levitical priests and to the judge who is in office at that time. Inquire of them and they will give you the verdict. Uh, the priests had a role as judge as well. Um, so it's like the next level up. Uh, it's like we have different courts. We have local courts, district courts, high courts, supreme court. Depending on the kind of case, the severity, they had a very similar system. But you, you, get, the, you get the idea, don't you? You need the judge. You need, you need to judge fairly. You mustn't show favouritism. Uh, you need to pursue what we want to see pursued in our courts, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Uh, you need to make sure that people aren't misrepresented. You need to gather all the facts. You need to protect the innocent. And notice it says, important, you do not take a bribe. Because what does a bribe do? It undoes all of those things, doesn't it? It lets the powerful, the wealthy, the people who use their money to get their way, get their way. And justice is not served. So it actually speaks to the character of the judge, doesn't it? The leader's character. They're going to make some really, really important decisions. They're going to need to have the moral fortitude to resist temptation... Uh, because their position is a position of power and they need to rule justly and fairly. So there's the first one, leaders that are just and love justice. Second point is, God wants his people to obey their leaders. Look at verse 10. Uh, you must act according to the decisions they give you at the place the Lord will choose. Be careful to do everything they instruct you to do. Act according to whatever they teach you and the decisions they give you. Do not turn aside from what they tell you, to the right or to the left. Anyone who shows contempt for the judge or for the priest who stands ministering there to the Lord your God is to be put to death. See, when the, when the judge, when the leader makes a call, that decision is final. Uh, you need to obey. What's Moses saying? He's saying this is a matter of life and death. Uh, this is a matter of unity for our whole nation. This is about our whole nation being holy before the Lord and loving him and pleasing him. This is about our whole nation prospering in the promised land. Well, what are you thinking at this point? I reckon there's a big question here at this point. What does that say about the role of leaders in Israel? What does it say about the role of judge and priest in God's nation? Well, it says, who you choose 
as your leader and judge is really, really important. This is a massively powerful position in Israel. This is an extraordinarily important role. When you choose these judges, these priests, their decisions will greatly affect individuals and will greatly affect the whole nation. In fact, the whole nation could come undone. Therefore, choose very, very carefully and very wisely. And what would you look for? Well, the answer is in the next section. Have a look in verse 14. Chapter 17, verse 14. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, and you've taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say... Let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. Now, who is the kind of king that the Lord your God would choose? I reckon it's, you look down a bit further and it's two things. The first one is, make sure he's not like the kings of the nations around you. So look at verse 15. Don't place a foreigner over you, that will be bad news. Make sure it's one of your own. Verse 16, uh, the king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself. What's that about? Um, The horse was a symbol of military strength. The nations put their confidence in their military. And it wasn't that Israel wasn't to have a military, but choose a king that has his confidence in God. Choose a king who is not a showman or a warmonger but is a man of peace and trust God. Don't be like the nations who gather up horses for themselves. Or, verse 16, second half of 16, or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them, more horses. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. See, it... Egypt was their oppressor. You're to turn your back on Egypt. You're not to trade horses with them. They are not to have influence over you. Cut yourself off from Egypt. Um, Don't go there again. Lastly, he must not, second last, he must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. Very, very common for the kings of the nations have lots of wives, expand their dynasty. But what happens? Many wives mean many children competing for the throne. Many wives mean many foreign wives, most likely, who will worship foreign gods and persuade the king to worship other gods or leading into compromises or treaties with other nations. Don't go there. Lastly, end of 17, he must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. He must not be greedy He must not be self-seeking. Well, that's the first one, not like the nations. Secondly, he's to be someone who carefully follows the words of God's law. Look at verse 18. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he's to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right 
or the left. It's actually saying, let your king be a man of humility, who sits under God. Some of us think, of course, but then you look over to the nations and you realise, what do they think about their kings? Their kings were gods, who lived how they wanted to live, who weren't accountable to anyone. What is God saying? He's saying, let that not be the case for your king. Your king isn't God. Your king sits humbly under God. He's the one who should listen to God and his word. After all, God is going to rule his nation by his word through his king. That king needs to listen to God and sit humbly before God. Uh, Let's just talk about the Russian president Putin for a minute. (laughs) What's the scariest thing about Putin? You know, the scariest thing I find about him, it's not, yes, it's all his crimes, but, you know, the, the, the scariest thing is that he doesn't think he's accountable to God. That is horrifying. He doesn't think he's accountable to anyone, but he doesn't truly believe that there is a God who is king over Russia and Ukraine. And God is saying here, find a leader who reveres God, who fears God, who listens to God, who humbles himself, trembles at God's word. Because the kings of the nations... We heard this in chapter 18. They're they're the ones who consult spiritists, who consult magicians, the dead, practice witchcraft, cast spells. They listen to people who practice sorcery or divination. But not your king. Find someone who reveres God's word, who doesn't depart from it, who knows he's accountable before the God of the universe then your nation will flourish, then you will please me. Now here's a question, did this happen for the nation of Israel moving forward as they entered into the promised land? Did Israel follow these instructions and prosper? And I think you know the answer. Uh, It didn't happen. So the priests and the judge were corrupt uh, they're, they're kings, in, in God's kindness, God gave them kings and there were, there were moments of blessing and prosperity and wisdom in Saul, in David and Solomon. But in the end, they all did the very things that God said, you must not do. Uh, justice was not upheld. What happened? Sin reigned. And death reigned. So even, even when a good judge or a good king was risen up, he was replaced by an evil one. And so Israel went into decline. The kingdom is split into two. Israel tragically find themselves under the judgment of God. And what's the solution? What's God's solution? Well, there's a promise of hope here. Have a look in verse 15 uh, of chapter 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. Or down in verse 18, I'll raise up for them a prophet like you 
from among their fellow Israelites and I'll put my words in their mouth, in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. Now, who could that be? Who could that person be who God raises up, that prophet? Because whoever they are, they will speak the truth from God. They'll be God's prophet. Whoever they are, uh, that'll be the person that we are held accountable to, uh, whether we listen to or not. Who could it be when every prophet fails? Well, every prophet fails except for one, don't they? Jesus comes on the scene and what does is, what is his heavenly father say at his baptism? There on the Jordan River, the voice says this, this is my beloved son in whom I delight. Listen to him. Here is the perfect prophet who's come. He's the one who always speaks God's words, always obeys God, flawlessly lives out God's law. Here is the perfect priest who intercedes for us uh, before God. Here is the perfect judge who gets it right 100% of the time. Here is the perfect king, the Messiah, the chosen one, the Christ. Here is the one who's not overcome by sin and death, but deals with sin and overcomes death at the cross and his resurrection. As we finish uh, this talk this morning and, and talk about leaders at, here at Salt, it's just, we've just got to pause at this point and reflect and know there is our true leader, Jesus. There is the one and only perfect leader in all of life. There is the true shepherd of his people. There is the one that you can trust 100% of the time. Uh, there is the one who knows you intimately who knows your suffering, who knows your struggles, knows your sin. Um, there is the one in Jesus who will call you on your sin and forgive you your sin and have compassion on you. There is the one who is deserving of all your honour and praise and all of your obedience. So can I just say to you, don't ever give your number one allegiance to anyone else other than Jesus. He's deserving of it all. And can I say, if you're still unsure of who, whether Jesus is who he says he is, if you're unsure if you can trust Jesus with your life, that's a big call. Um, make sure you come along to our life series that Amy pointed us to earlier, a few weeks' time. Ask any question, find out who Jesus is, or just listen to discover Jesus. Now, what is it, where does this bring us as we think about leaders in church and leaders here at Salt? Uh, well, the New Testament says we don't have judges, we don't have priests and kings, so that's not what we have here at Salt. Uh, we've seen Jesus is the judge, Jesus is the priest, Jesus is the king. Uh, and if we're ruled by Jesus, uh, what, what would that look like? It would mean Jesus is at the centre of church life that God's word is at the centre and is genuinely ruling us. Um, that's what it would look like. Now, there's one sense in which we all have access to, to Jesus. That's a really important point. We all have access to Jesus. We all have access to God's word. Um, and we can all teach one another. 
Uh, and Ephesians chapter 4 talks about this, speak the truth in love to one another and that is how God will grow his church. Help one another in every situation to love God, keep pointing one another back to Jesus, uh, keep going to God's word for the answers, keep asking one another, what should I do here? How should I love God in this situation? Help one another. Uh, that's the New Testament picture. And then God has also given us leaders to help us, to teach us, to model the Christian life to us. So appoint those leaders. Uh, they're, they're called elders in the New Testament or pastors or bishops or teachers. Uh, and I guess by extension, appoint uh, ministry leaders, which we have here at church, or small group leaders or team leaders. And what will be essential as you do that? Well, let me, let me point to two things. Uh, firstly, don't choose like the world chooses and choose someone who's, who humbly sits under King Jesus. It's what we've just heard in Deuteronomy, isn't it? So, flick over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, let me show you in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, here's the Apostle Paul speaking to his apprentice, Timothy. But here is the Word of God to us uh, as we choose leaders. How do you choose an elder, a pastor, a teacher? 1 Timothy chapter 3, right at the end of, end of your Bible. Verse 3, here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respect, respectful, sorry, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the, ju the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Now, what do you notice about that list? What's that list all about? What does that list just keep reminding you of? It's character, isn't it? Look at their character, then look at their character, and then look at their character, and then look at their character, and then look at their character again. There's one there that seems to be a skill, able to teach. Although some have said, actually, that's a, 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 another character. That if you don't have godly character, you won't be able to teach, you'll be a complete hypocrite. So it's not actually about skill, it's actually about your character. But either way, it's dominated by character, isn't it? The temptation for us will always be, choose someone who is incredibly skillful, but not godly. Or choose someone who is incredibly charismatic or I like their personality or I like whatever other part of them I like except they're completely ungodly. Uh, they never practice what they preach. And so Paul just keeps saying, character, character, character. Paul goes on in, um, to say to Timothy, set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. 
it's completely right that we are completely rigorous as we assess leaders' character. Now, this is true for pastors, and I, and, and I think it's true for all other leaders as well. But it was really interesting when I was uh, interviewed for the role of lead pastor uh, just over three years ago, um, and completely appropriate that I was asked some really difficult questions about my personal life, and completely appropriate that they dug deep to understand who I am, that they chase down people that know me because this is so important for leadership. And and it's equally important that the FIC, the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches, uh, as they authorise, I think that's the right word, um, pastors across the network, that they too are assessing pastors' character. But it applies uh, to other parts of church life. Um, So uh, a leader of a team, let's just take a band leader, um, no no pressure on you, Christy, this morning. Um, But think about a leader of a team, think about the leader of a music team. What would you rather a great and fantastic musician or a godly musician? Now, you want both, don't you? Of course we want both, and, and God, has, God has given us both, I think, at Salt. But if you could choose one, that tells you what's most important, doesn't it? Which one would you let drop if you could only have one? Would it be the godly leader who really needs, needs to work harder on their musical skills? Or would it be the professional musician who's absolutely brilliant? but has a real question mark about their godliness in private life. What are the consequences? If they're not great musically, the music won't be 100% every time and we will survive. (laughs) Uh, What would be the consequence if they're not godly? That is so much more serious, isn't it? They could take uh, the team in a whole different ungodly direction. Um, they could take our church in a different direction. They could treat people appallingly and that would be awful. Character. Paul says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. So choose someone who knows the chief shepherd Jesus, submits to him, loves him and knows that they are accountable to him. 1 Timothy 3.9 says, they must hold, for pastors, they must hold, keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, I want to finish with two things uh, to think about as we think about leaders. The first one is leaders are fallible and will need accountability structures. Uh, so our whole understanding of, of humanity... Uh, of sin from the Bible, even though uh, we've, become un- we've become Christian, we're under the Lordship of Jesus, we're now filled with the Spirit, tells us that we still sin, that we are still fallen, that we're still re- we will still wrestle with sin, we'll still need to repent, we'll still need to come to Jesus for forgiveness. And so please expect that your leaders will struggle with sin also, will also be tempted 
And it's the very reason why we put measures in place to keep our leaders accountable and on track. Uh, So it's completely appropriate, isn't it, that we have policy, we have a code of conduct here at SALT for anyone who's a leader uh, across SALT. We have a code of conduct for our staff team. We have safe ministry supervisors that we can go and speak to uh, if we have a concern. Uh, We have a review panel uh, that if you have a particular concern for me as your lead pastor, uh, you can go and speak with them. Um, there's there's one one of the members of the panel uh, when that was when that was formed about twelve months ago. He said to me, "I'm going to camp outside your house and watch you like a hawk." <laughs> and he was joking. And I said, "Well, just come in. I want to you know have fellowship with you, brother." But it's like, it's completely appropriate, isn't it, that there's someone we can go and talk to and there's someone that keeps us accountable. And then there's our, our denomination, our fellowship of independent evangelical churches who we can also go to if we've got concerns, particularly about me as lead pastor. So check our website, all those details are there. Uh, so that's the first thing, accountability. But let me give you the second point, and it's... It really is against our culture. It's against our Aussie culture where we tear down our leaders rather than respect them. Uh, and it's, it goes against our grain because we so often don't trust leaders, and, and rightly so because they've let us down so badly. But it's submission, submitting to our leaders. So Hebrews chapter 13 says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then down to verse 17 on the screen there, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Notice the words he uses, remember your leaders. You won't hear this in your workplace, but here it is for the church. Remember your leaders. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith, which is why it's really important who you choose. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Uh, They are staggering words in our culture, aren't they? Because he says, they keep watch over you as those who must give an account don't make their job a burden but a joy that would be of no benefit to you. Being a leader is a tough job, yeah? It's an enormous privilege and joy. I can't think of anything else I'd like to do. To be a leader in God's church, a humble servant, the lead servant in God's, amongst God's people is an enormous privilege. Uh, and I take it really seriously And salt gives me lots of joy. Salt enables me to see lots of God's kindness and goodness and growth and all kinds of great things. And what else am I going to say? It also gives me heartache and sleepless nights and worry. Why is that? Partly because I don't trust God as much as I should. Partly because we're all sinful and complicated. Uh, Partly because decisions are hard. Partly because you've just got to get used to not being liked as a leader. 
uh, sometimes it's the weight of responsibility uh, that we're, we're... What are we dealing with here? We're dealing with heaven and hell, eternity. This is so important. Sometimes it's the long hours. Sometimes it's conflict. But let me give you the big one. The big one is one day we'll all have to give an account for how we've lived. We know that. Our only hope is in the Lord Jesus. He stands in for us. But if you're a leader of God's people, Jesus is going to have a particular word and question for you. He'll ask you, how did you treat my people? There's, there's something in James 3 that says, you will be judged more harshly. James chapter 3, verse 1. So be faithful. Revere God. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Lean on Jesus and his grace and his, his strength. Because Jesus is your judge and you'll answer to him. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as, as we sing again this morning and sing your praises, uh, we pray that we might be a church that brings glory and honour to you. Uh, Father, we pray that we would do this in leadership, uh, that you would graciously provide for us leaders who point us to you, who teach your word, who submit to you, who love you, uh, who are godly. Uh, And Father, help us uh, in every part of church life uh, to hear this word, uh, not only of accountability for leadership, but also submission to leadership. Uh, Father, thank you for your word to us that is good, that desires for us to prosper and grow. Uh, Lord, we pray that you give us help and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.